Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world, welcome to the show. This is the Millennial Millionaire Podcast, and I am your host, Stephen Cohen. This podcast is focused on bringing some of the wisest minds from across the globe to discuss concepts, strategies, and ideals that will lead them to be top performers in their respective industries and their lives. This show is for the millennials and millennials at heart to transcend their mindset, their health, and their income to the next level. We are so excited to have you on this journey with us. Welcome to the show. What is up, Millennial Millionaires? Welcome back to the show. Stephen Cohen here. Got a new and exciting guest. We have Mr. Adrian Bragas. Uh, Adrian graduated UNR with a major in economics and finance, was working in the finance industry before he transitioned into the direct sale industry. Adrian has been able to build a seven-figure financial service company in the last five years. He is an owner through Globe Life, started as a top 1% agent in the life insurance industry and has now transitioned to running one of the top agencies in the life insurance industry that he runs completely remote other than his ex- other than his sales experience and his expertise in building teams he's also a great dude and someone I'm looking forward to connecting with so thank you so much for coming to the show man let's go thank you for having me it's glad to be here absolutely bro so we met each other what probably a year ago now at a uh, at a mutual networking event we were both yes. speaking to, and I feel like immediately after we both got done speaking, I was like, "All right, I vibe with this guy. <laughs> the content's very similar. A lot of his philosophies about success and about life and about sales is stuff that I also believe in um, and am very familiar with." So go ahead and share a little bit about how you got into direct salesman and a little bit about your background transitioning out of traditional um, education onto self-education and what you're currently doing. Yeah, um, I mean, traditional educational system is telling us to go to high school, go to college, get a degree, make six figures. So it's all we were taught growing up. So I did it. I did exactly what I was told. Graduated here at Arbor View, went to UNR, got two degrees, was expecting nothing less than you know, $100,000 offer starting out, graduated uh, university with my two degrees, all my job offers, 40, 50,000, slap in the face. <laughs> so <clears throat> that's something I had, you know, that was like a hard pill to swallow because it's the reality of what's going on around us. Um, so success doesn't necessarily, you know, mean with a degree, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to bring in the income. Um, and I learned that firsthand. Um, I, I, one degree, I was going to get one degree. I thought I was going to get, um, then I did two and then still 50,000, $60,000 offers. It just wasn't enough, you know, so it was something I just never got over. So I did a few, few, you know, corporate accounting positions and just kept quitting because it just, it just wasn't enough. I wasn't getting paid nearly what I thought. And, you know, obviously I just knew from day one, like I'm just worth more than this. That's that. 100% man. Where do you think that ideology comes from? And why do you think the system is so broken? Because growing up as well, you're taught, go get a really good job. Well, go to school, go get your four year degree, potentially more, you know, get in debt, go hopefully get a good paying job, work your way up corporate America. And then, you know, eventually down the road, you can live the happy days of retirement at 65 and then die seven years later. Why do you think the system is so broken? And and why do you think people continue to still get stuck in that rat race? I think it's just an old like belief. I think it's very, very old school. It's, it's a rat race. It's safe. Um, A lot of people can kind of just plug in, go to high school, graduate, and then get whatever job that a mass corporation is offering you know they they tend to prey on you know fresh graduates 
and they take advantage of them that, you know, they're educated, they got the degrees, and they offer them low-paying positions, and they're profiting off of them in a large margin. I think, you know, that's, that's kind of where the disconnect is um, when they're teaching things like that in high school or even in, in university. They don't really teach you how to make money. They teach you how to get through the courses, how to do whatever it is you're told. And then you get a piece of paper saying you did all of that, and then you bring it to the corporation, and they offer you what they offer you. And at that point, you really have no choice but to be like, all right, well, there's nothing really else out. I, I went, I did my four years, like, this is what it's for. Now it's time for me to start um, climbing up the ladder. And that will take, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 years, which is one of the reasons why I quit, too. Um, a lot of my colleagues, um, when I was in my accounting positions, they were in their ages 40, 50, 60, been in their positions 15, 20 years, not making much more than me. And that's the reason why I just couldn't do it anymore. <laughs> Three months in, I was like, I can't do this. I'm not going to be here ever making this much more in 10, 20 years. Like, I like nice things and I can't get any of that with this. What initially attracted you to finance? Was it with the hope that, hey, learning about finances will help me become more financially free? Um, yeah, yes and no. I mean, going to university straight from high school, you really don't know like what you like, what your niche is. You kind of don't really have time to think about it. So I always knew I wanted to do some sort of business. I guess that's what people just assume that they want to do. Something in the business industry, something with money, something that will educate you on how money works. It's kind of the ideology that I was going with it. But once you graduate university with a finance degree, there's not like a position for that <laughs> besides counting other people's money. You know what I mean? Yeah, much rather be counting your own money. Exactly. <laughs> so after you realize, hey, traditional education is not for you, what made you have the awareness to start looking outside of yourself? Because like most people would be in your situation, like our situation, they go to college, they get the degree, a lot of times they get in debt, and then they just kind of surrender and like, well, I spent all this time and invested all this self, I haven't really built a skill set. So I might as well just conform and, and go get a job. What do you think separated you versus the majority yeah. of people that <laughs> no, absolutely that do that? And, and I probably would have been in in that category of people just accepting like, all right, well, I guess this is life now, but um, I've been with my, my partner now for six, seven years. And that little push that I needed was me finding out that I was going to have a daughter. Mm. So I was like, all right, I graduated university. I'm making 40, $50,000. And that'd be fine if it was just me and I have to make money for three people. So that was a push that I needed. And essentially like, all right, I, I need to make money for to feed three people. So I need to make three times as much as I'm making now. So anything over six figures I'm good with, I'm willing to try whatever it is, whatever it takes. And that was that push that had me to, one, apply to like 30, 40 different positions at that time. Craigslist was like a thing. Um, Indeed was, was really, really good for finding positions. All I did was sort from highest paying job to least just applied to every single highest paying job. Every single interview I went into was like door-to-door sales, um, security systems. Hey. <laughs> uh, what else did I run into? Pest control. And then real estate was an option. And then, right, what I'm doing now is financial services is the last, one of the last few interviews that I did. And it kind of just sat right with me. I mean, it's a union position with Globe Life. We get all of the leads 
Um, that's something that separated Globe Life from the rest of the companies because a lot of it's door to door. I have no, I have no issue with door to door, but I feel like that's the majority of what you do is you're finding your next client and you're going through referrals. <laughs> and with what we do, what we do, it's all requested leads. So that's that's half the battle to me on my end. So that was why I chose the financial services industry. You know, back then, quitting my corporate you know, salaried position and kind of just thinking like, if this doesn't work, then whatever, I'll go back to my accounting, accounting job, I'll get a job wherever on the strip and I'll figure it out. But if it does work, then I'm going to stick with it. You know, the financial service is a huge trillion dollar industry. There's money for everybody. Yeah, I love that, man. Let's talk about that transition a little bit because I'm with you. I think that jump from what's safe and comfortable and what, you know, my parents did and, and maybe your parents and what, you know, a lot of people's traditional route in their professional career looks like, which is, you know, get a nice comfy salary job with benefits and, you know, upward mobility to go to something a lot more unorthodox, which has in hyphens less security and less uh, predictability in terms of your income. It's more of a commission based. What was that transition look like, especially knowing that, you know, you either had a kid on the way or, you know, was born, man, I was in a position where it was fight or flight. Um, I, I knew that I had my accounting position in my back pocket. So on my end, I was like, I really have nothing to lose. I could get an, an accounting job anywhere. Um, but starting in the financial services industry, Steve, obviously, you know, back then, like doing anything commission only door to door sales was like laughed at in a sense. Go get a real job, bro. <laughs> exactly. So my family didn't agree with it. Um, my friends didn't agree with it. Um, my partner did um, because we had to, you know, we had to get licensed through the state and I was already spending money for the course, which I wasn't like happy with. <laughs> I was already doing my fingerprint background check. And it was, I had to pass the course. I failed the exam like two, three times. And I was like, all right, well, maybe it's not for me. And she was like, why don't you just do it one more time? So I was like, all right, I'll do it one more time. I'll at least make one or two sales to get my money back from whatever is I spent trying to get licensed. And then if it doesn't work out, whatever, it doesn't work out. Um, but yeah, so back then it, <laughs> it wasn't, it, it's, it's not a job that I really spoke on a lot. Financial services is more of like the mainstream careers now. Like they see it up there with like a real estate agent, right? Like everyone before sees the real estate career, like, oh, that, like, that's a great job. Life insurance was not that like it is right now. A hundred percent, man. And uh, yeah, the financial service industry, I'm, I'm pretty familiar with it as well. Um, a lot of people who I follow, a lot of mentors um, online and offline made a lot of their wealth in that industry. Can you elaborate a little bit about the industry itself? I know it has something to do with life insurance. Um, is it, I, it's different than being a financial advisor. Yes. Can you kind of go over the differences there? <sighs> yeah. So the reason, the reason being is I also read on the financial services industry as well. And it, it is the number one industry to create the most seven figure earners in the, in the industry and reading on it before getting licensed with globe life, um, before looking into the industry as a whole, um, that was like that little hope that I saw on Google that was like, all right, well, this might be like the industry for me. But financial services, as well, what we do through Globe Life is we service, it's a private company that services union members, government employees, government employees, and veterans. 
So it's a niche market, private private industry that we do get our our resources direct from the union halls through the veterans, and they all request um, our their services through us through Globe Life. Um, that we go in and take care of their life insurance that they get, um, their permanent benefits that they lose when they leave their job or retire, and we make sure that their assets are protected, their final expenses are protected, incomes protected. Um, it's like a whole program that we do, and that's like our niche market that we're working on through Globe Life, through you know our private market that we get requested leads from and everything like that. Yeah, let's talk about life insurance a little bit because. I actually got life insurance pretty early in my career back in 2017. Um, a buddy of mine on my solar team who was doing solar part-time, but also was doing financial services, you know, pitched me on it. I didn't really understand it, but I trusted him and I ended up um, enrolling in what's called an IUL, which you obviously have a lot of expertise yes. in. Um, and in hindsight, it was actually one of the smartest investments I've made. I started off small because I wasn't making as much money uh, as much back then, but I, it was my first investment vehicle that I actually started building the habit of investing other than having my savings account. I had this IUL, which, you know, we'll elaborate, but it basically has an investment account tied to a life insurance policy. And I looked up five years, uh, you know, from now, and I have, you know, close to six figures in there just from putting in a thousand, a couple thousand bucks a month. So can you go over a little bit about why um, these type of life insurance policies are important to the entrepreneurs and the investors in terms of the investment side of it, but also in terms of to protect their wealth that they're working so hard to create? Yes, absolutely. So an IOL is one of the best vehicles you can start with in, in terms of protecting your assets, protecting everything that's important to you, and also making money on top of your money at the same time. Like you said, Steve, you have six figures in your IUL that you invested, what, five years ago? Yeah, five, six years so ago. So even if you passed away tomorrow, you're getting the cash value built in and whatever the face amount is, I, I would assume like a couple million. Yep. Yeah, so whether you have dependents or not, life insurance is needed to, one, build money for you. In the IUL, it's tax-free. And if for those of you that have, do have dependents, for me on my end, it's I just keep it simple. It's like if I die too soon... My two dollars are my two daughters are millionaires, and that's as simple as that, right? Everything's taken care of. Don't have to worry about anything. Everything's in my IUL, um, and that's now not, not everyone can do you know a couple thousand dollars a month, but you increase it as you go. Start with a hundred, and then raise it to two hundred. You know, six months down the line, and then when you get up there, five hundred dollars a month. But your money is always building for you, so you're not really throwing the money away as most people think, or the difference between that and putting it into an, um, a savings account is what I hear a lot of the rebuttals are from people who don't really know about getting a life insurance policy, right? You put $1,000 in a savings account, you know, five years down the line, that's, you know, whatever that is, 60000 if that. But now you have, you know, a couple hundred thousand and more plus the, fi the face amount of a couple million. So that's the difference that a lot of, you know, families with life and the name around life insurance is seen as like, oh, they just want to make money from me. But it's like I'm protecting everything that you work so hard for, um, all your assets, your family, everything that you leave behind, because you know, at the end of the day, no one is promised tomorrow. And that's a cliche saying, but it's very, very true. You know, we see GoFundMes, we see car washes that we drive by like it's just it's just necessary. The only thing we're guaranteed is is, is death and. And that's the one thing to protect it. Totally. And I think 
the more that I learn about it and the more that I learn about investing and diversification, it's just a nice pillar to have in your financial portfolio. You know, you have your brokerage accounts that are a little bit more liquid. You know, you have your real estate investments. You have your cash reserves and your, you know, crypto, hopefully not right now, but your crypto, (laughs) you know, more high risk. But I think the IUL is so cool because to your point, it protects what you're working for. You know, especially a lot of people listening to this show, a lot of us are young, motivated hustlers that are working really hard to create a better life for ourselves, our future families, our current families, et cetera. But there's no hedge against that. You know, the life insurance to me is a hedge to essentially, hey, I'm working so hard to create all this stuff. Let me get a hedge in case something obviously that's out of our control does happen to us. And the other cool thing about the IUL that I really like that we can touch on is the leverage aspect about it where you can essentially, if I'm correct, almost kind of be your own bank where, you know, if you have this IUL product or a life insurance cash value account, depending on what your um, cash amount is, for me, it's, let's call it six figures, I can actually take a loan from myself against that. I believe it's 90%, so $90,000 to go invest um, into something else, especially in today's inflammatory landscape where interest rates are six, seven, eight, nine percent for certain things. Being able to leverage that IUL um, and take a loan against it for a fraction of a percent is super valuable, especially in today's landscape. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and that's the main difference that, you know, a lot of, you know, I guess everyday people don't really understand. It's just the, the name around it sometimes just come off as just salesy, right? This, we're not talking about a box of knives or a Kirby vacuum. Like this is for your family and for you. And it's an investment vehicle that, you know, it doesn't even matter how much you put in as long as you're starting it you're getting your money back on top of being protected. So that's why it's, I mean, it's, it's like one of the ideal things. It's like a must-have, whether you have dependents or not, right? Your money is just building money on top of it. You take the money, you leverage it into a, a different asset, and you just rinse and repeat. Absolutely, man. Let's talk about investing uh, for a little bit, because obviously you're in the financial uh, service space. Um, obviously, you're not a financial advisor, so this isn't investing advice, but I'm sure in your guys' organization and culture is spoken about a lot because a lot of your products have to do with that. How important is the habit of investing and developing that at a young age versus pulling, pushing it to a future destination, you know, when I make more money, when I'm in a better situation, then I'll start? I think it's everything right now. It's investing in general and how to make money with your money is something that we're never taught. You know, we're taught Y equals M whatever, (laughs) whatever it is. And I'm sure none of us remember that coming out of high school or like wondering why we had to learn that, but you don't really learn how to make money on your money. So investing and, and saving for taxes and figuring out how to, you know, organize all of your bank accounts and your assets is something that we're teaching because that's something that I wish that I learned, you know, straight out the gate. You know, a lot of young, the young generation is not focused on the long term or the bigger picture after all this is said and done, right? They're focused on the flashy lifestyle, the nice cars, the nice clothes, which I understand because, you know, we, we work hard for everything that we earn. But the long term of it is it's not really about what you're making, it's what you're keeping. And that's the message that we do for every single manager or associate that we have coming on board as we teach them how to use their money or sp- and, and do it wisely because, you know, it, the, the, 
the number one sign that I know someone's going to get burnt out of any industry in a year is how they spend their money, mm. right? They can, it doesn't matter how much they make. If they spend it all, they're back to zero. So um, that's, that's something that we've incorporated that I, like I said, I wish I started when I first started, um, that I'm just paving forward now for, for the, my next generation of leaders right now. Love that, man. That delayed gratification is huge. Same thing in my industry. You know, any type of direct sales industry where you're trading your life force for a sale, for a commission, and you're not promised that the next week, there's not that predictability. You know, the top performers have predictability because of that consistency and, you know, the the standard they have from themselves. But I agree with you, man. I've been doing this for a long time and I've seen so many people who come out of the gate hot and make a, a $10,000, $15,000, $20,000, $30,000 mm-hmm. uh, commission in a month. And a year later, they're no longer in the industry and they went back to their old nine to five jobs because, you know, it, it that income out earned their belief level and their financial literacy. Therefore, they almost had that sense of just not believing that they could get back there and ended up quitting. How important is identity um, and self-belief to your own journey, but the people that you work with and the people in your organization? Man, it's it's everything, <laughs> Steve. It has to happen up here before it happens in real life. You have to see it um, and, and truly believe it, you know, for everything to happen and unfold. Um, you know, writing stuff down, affirmations, everything like that is is all real, right? Because you, like I said, like I said, you have to be able to see yourself in that position, in your dream house, in in your car, whatever you want, or whatever you're working for. That's why I always encourage my agents if you do want to get that house, go see it, go envision it, go with your partner, you know, like take, um, a tour of the house and like really see yourself in it because that's what I used to do when I was first starting. Um, I drove like an old Mustang coming into the office. I told my mentor now, I was like, I want a Benz and I want a Southwest American West house. He's like, cool. These are the numbers you need to do. Let's get to work. So every so often when, you know, you have a bad day, you have to remind yourself what this is all for, right? So I drove past the house. I went to go see it. I drove the car that I wanted. Um, went to go see the watch that, you know, I'm wearing now that I wanted. I freaking tried it on. Everything that I do, I went to go see it and picture it that, you know, like this is really just a few steps away. I just got to put my head down and focus, right? So self-belief, 90% of what we do in sales is just showing up. 10% is just inevitable, if you're working on it, if you're getting better 1% every single day, I mean, you can do anything and be consistent at it and find success. So 90% of it is literally just showing up. Dream building, man. That was something that I did as well um, early in my career during my network marketing days. I wasn't making any money, but I was out there, you know, I was spending my you last <laughs> dollar in my bank account to go to the four-star hotel instead of the two-star yes. star hotel and just getting closer to my goals and, you know, that whole visualization and affirmations, like you said, in the law of attraction, it has this mysticism to it. But the thing I love about the 21st century and the internet and today's age is a lot of these kind of belief, wishy wooey, esoteric concepts are now being backed by science. And it's actually being proven that visualization, dream building, you know, you become what you think about. All these concepts are actually being proven to be real with quantum physics and neuroscience. How has that realm impacted your journey um, in your your success? 
man, that's that's everything before I jumped into this. I wrote every single thing that I wanted to do down. Everything. Even the Bible says, have a vision and make it plain. And, and you know, um, and I'm glad that you said that, you know, before you were spending that extra dollar or a few dollars to get to that four-star hotel instead of the two. And that's so, so important because even, because once you get a taste of that lifestyle, it's a different way of thinking. It's a different way of like getting outside of your comfort zone saying, all right, I'm staying in the four or five-star hotel. I'm not going back to the two. I'm spending a little more extra to stay in first class because I'm not going to be the person that I'm walking by past first class again. Like you walk through the people in the first class, you're like, oh, it must be nice. And then you're trying to figure out where you're going to put your luggage. Like I'm never going to do that again because I know how it feels to be in that position. Just like, you know, you stayed in the hotel resort. It's like, this is the level that I want to be at. So I'm going to continue to do whatever I need to do to stay at that level because I know what it's like to start at the two-star, the one-star hotel. I know what it's like to be treated at the five-star resort. So um, everything happens, like I said, in your head before it happens in real life. And your why, whether it's for someone or something, like you have to be reminded of that because you're not going to be motivated every single day to do it. Every single day, you and I, we do stuff that we just don't want to do, but we do it anyway because we know that discipline is going to get us to consistency. That's going to get us the results that we need. And that's what I try and preach and teach to everyone that's coming on board. Like, yes, you can feel motivated. You're going to take over the world one day. One bad thing happens off plan, and now you're like, oh, I can't do anything. And But it's the discipline and the habits that build and compound over time, which, like I said, you can be consistent at almost or pretty much anything and find success at it. So we don't teach motivation, we teach habits, we teach discipline and consistency. Those three things are worth more than me than a degree, than job experience. It's just that and attitude, positive attitude, and that's it. Like, especially in our industry, anyone can make it with those three. I love what you said there, man. How has your why evolved over the years? Man, (laughs) my why started with my youngest daughter, which she turned six yesterday, and then I, you know, use that to, to, to really just, you know, provide and, and do everything I can to be, you know, a complete father figure, provide for the family, you know. And then I had my second daughter, which she's turning two in June, which kind of reignited me. So my why are those two. Um, every single day when I wake up, you know, they make me get out of bed every single day. And everything I do is essentially for them. So. Powerful, man. What advice would you give the person? Because I agree with you. I don't, I don't have any kids, but I, I think in order to create a certain level of success, you need bigger reasons that are outside of yourself. If you're doing whatever you're doing simply just to drive a nicer car or live in a nicer house or have a nicer lifestyle, the second you face massive adversity or big obstacles, you're not going to have a big enough reason to overcome it. You know, we all know the quote, if you have a big enough why, you can accomplish any how. But for those people that maybe have kids or that have really big whys, but they feel like they're stuck because me and you are, are pretty fortunate that we both were able to take that jump of faith into direct sales entrepreneurship before we were 
too tied down with responsibilities. You know, you have a family to take care of. I take care of my parents. So I can see how a lot of people that maybe didn't have that foresight, but are in a situation now where they're not satisfied or fulfilled in the profession or the money or the lifestyle they're making, but they're not willing to make that jump because they have responsibilities and people they need to take care of. What advice would you give those people? I think if, if your why isn't making you get out and do things that you don't want to do, it's just not big enough. You have to think bigger. You have to think long-term. You have to get someone that's above you, that's mentoring you to really sit you down and map out the next five to 10 years. Because yes, driving a nice car, getting that house in the next six to 12 months is good. But what happens after that? What happens after you get it? That's when you see people start getting complacent or you see them get a decline. So um, for me, my, my why obviously is my two children, but what's next for me isn't really what's next because I've, I've pretty much gotten everything that I asked for and, and wanted and, and wrote down. Um, but for me, it's always, it's who's next now for me. So we're, we're in position, Steve, and I'm sure you can attest to it too, that we're just working on our next generation of leadership and serving others, right? Just as we were, you know, someone taught you and I was mentored myself, and we're just paving it forward because ultimately the path, the path to success is to serve. So as long as our people are always doing good and we're putting them first and we're making sure that their success is our success as if it was our own, you know, we're, we're ultimately going to be successful at the end. So it's, it's short-term goals for sure that I always love to implement, but it's that long-term figure for like, that's going to keep them going even on days where things aren't going their way. You know, we can we can go out and, and do presentations or see families or clients and get told no a hundred times. But if their why is big enough, like I said, if it's for someone or something that they're working towards that's long term and it's way above, you know, themselves, that's that's what's gonna get them discipline and consistency. Mm. Spin facts, y'all. Hope you're <laughs> hope you're hope you're listening. Back to when you first made the transition from your accounting nine to five to entrepreneurship to the financial service industries making that jump. Most people, when they see someone like you, see someone like me, see someone that is winning at whatever industry, it's very easy for them to write them off and be like, oh, you know, they were really good at public <laughs> speaking or they're a great communicator or the timing or X, Y, and Z. And, and I'm sure a lot of those were true, but in my experience, what I found is the best communicators, the best speakers, the best public, um, you know, persuaders were really bad at one point and they had to fail, fail, go through trials and tribulations and get yeah. knocked down and get back up. And that's the reason they're really good. So what was that success trajectory look like for you? Because I'm sure it's not what most people thought it was. <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, sales is the last thing that I thought I was going to be uh, my niche or like for me to be do long term. I was the guy that was not good. I'm an extroverted introvert. You know, I was, I feel that I was shy in middle school. I was shy, like the quiet guy in high school. And I just had like a realization, like all the people that I see that are successful, like there's really no difference between them and me. They're just doing it. So I just started forcing myself to do it. And it was very, very uncomfortable for me, but that's what you have to do. You have to get uncomfortable you know, you can't keep doing the same things and expecting different results. Insanity. Exactly. Definition of insanity. Um, <clears throat> so you have to get uncomfortable. You got to do things that 
you're not going to, you know, success is the outside of your comfort zone is, is what they always say. And it's, it's so, so true because we could have easily stayed, you know, you could have easily stayed at UNLV. I could have easily stayed doing accounting and we took that leap of faith and just ran with it. You know, we burned all the bridges. There's no plan B and that's what success is. There's just no plan B. Like that was my mind. So I was like, this is going to work. And uh, if it doesn't, whatever, I'll go back. But everything that I'm doing right now, I'm going all in. Um, so that's that's what you have to do. You just got to go all in. You got You can't have any type of emergency plan unless it fails. But even then, even if you know, even if I did fail, I'd just keep going. I'd find a different industry if it wasn't for me. But I knew that working for yourself, working in sales in general, is where I wanted to be. It's where all the money is generated from. It's sales. Mm. What do you think your biggest struggle was when first getting into the direct sales business? Was it more of like self-accountability? Was it developing the skill sets of persuasion? Was it getting the belief in the identity up to where you needed to be? What yeah. did that, what did those challenges um, look like for I you? I think transitioning to sales is you have to learn what sales is. Sales is the transfer of emotion. So once you learn that, you, then you get better at how you interact, the questions that you ask, finding out that family's why, what they care about, and solving an issue, solving a problem. So once you get to that point of, like, it's not about the commission, commission breath is strong, you know, they can smell it from a mile away. I can, when I was watching on my new age, I can see it. That's like commission breath. But once you start listening to the families, understanding exactly what you're meeting for and the problems that they have, all you're doing is you're just being a problem solver. That's it. You know, like, for example, if you're sitting with, if, if I'm sitting with a single dad of two and he passes away tomorrow, that's a huge issue. He has nothing set up for his kids. His house isn't paid off. He has all these bills that are going to go to his kids' names. I'm going to solve that issue for him. And and that's, that's pretty much what sales is. So my struggles from that is I just wanted to sell the, the damn product. I just wanted to make commission. I wanted to make my weekly check and I wanted to I wanted to make quick cash. Once you realize that you're here for a purpose and and to solve other people's problems, the the wealth and the income it just comes. How do you how do you get out of yourself though? Cuz I feel like for a lot of people it's they're focused on, you know, we talked about service a lot and I agree, yes. you know, service to many leads to greatness, you know, Zig Ziglar, old OG quote, yeah. you help enough people get what they want out of life. You get what you want by default, Absolutely. which sounds great. And it's worked for me and a lot of people, but for those that are so busy, maybe focused on themselves or focused on paying their own bills or trying to get ahead or trying to get out of the rat race, whenever they hear service, they're like, that sounds great, dude. But like, I can't even pay my own bills. What would you say to them in order to help them get out of themselves, step into more of an abundance mentality and start serving people to help them get out of their rut? I think, I mean, I can see how that can be, you know, like just being like, all right, well, if I help you, how's it going to help me? And that's why I am grateful for the structure we have at Globe Life because it's structured to where when your people win, so will you. So, your, their success is my success. Every single one of my agents, every single one of my managers, when they, when I help them or push them, drag them, hold their hand to be successful, so am I. So if get into a position or um, a company that has that sort of structure, right? This isn't like car sales or 
selling knives where everyone is to themselves and not wanting to help you. Get into a structure where your direct mentor is getting their income from your success. Mm. So that's that's what takes all of the like, oh, I don't want to help him, but if he gets better than me, like that's what it's supposed to do. If he's better than you, he's going to make what he needs to make for his family or whatever he needs to do, and your income is going to reflect that as well. So the structure of, of what we do at Globe Life helps, you know, helps put people first. So that's why um, that's why I'm telling them, like, it's not about you once you step into leadership. It's about the newest person that joins the agency. Mm. It's funny you say that. I had a call randomly. I probably haven't talked to a buddy of mine since okay. high school till, uh, for like six or seven months. It's been a while. And he randomly hit me up and was basically just picking my brain in terms of like one of the videos I posted. And he's like, hey, man, you know, you're doing really well, yada, yada, yada. I, I hear that, you know, I, I keep hearing that you need to get a mentor how the fuck do you get a mentor? Like everyone keeps telling me, how do I get a mentor? And I'm like, it's a pretty, it's a fair question Yeah. for me. I feel like I've always had mentors. Maybe I wasn't like, Hey bro, do you want to be my mentor? Yeah. I wasn't like that, but it was like, I was always in vehicles or companies or organizations where there was always someone incentivized to help me. <laughs> Therefore, all I had to do was go and be of value to that person, help make them money. And in retrospect, they turn around and give me their time and energy and expertise because they're incentivized to. So I think the easiest way to go find a mentor, to your point, is join an organization where there's people winning and add some type of significant value to them and entail they'll be willing to help you because now they're mutually invested. Yes, absolutely. Not just mutually invested, but financially, like, yes, it might be weird to say, but yeah, like they're willing to help you because they're making income from you. Like that's, that's going to take away everything that people are worried about, about putting other people first and having that, you know, serve mentality. And yeah, having a mentor is, is everything I would say. You skip the mistakes they, they made you're shortcutting their success in like half of the time and like half the time, if not more. And they're telling you everything you need to do to get to where they are. Um, choosing a mentor is different. You have to have the same beliefs. You have to have this, ha- they have to have what you want. And they, you want to be able to say like, if you were to trade places with your mentor, would you, if the answer is no, then that's not someone you should be learning from. So like, what's the point? Like he can't, you can't teach somebody what, to do what you don't, we haven't done, you know? Yeah, man, I was literally just doing a training about that this <laughs> morning. You know, one of my first success principles that I learned that has served me massively is who do you listen to? Yes. You know, what input are you allowing into your consciousness? And back to our earlier point with the education system and school and corporate America, that is one of the big key challenges. It's people are listening to people to make money or do a career or, you know, live a fulfilled life that aren't exemplifying that in their real life. Therefore it's a broken game of telephone because the message isn't getting down to the person. The wrong message is being given down to the person that is being willing to hear it. So just to reiterate my boy, Adrian, (laughs) make sure you are listening to people that have the physical manifestation of what you want. If you want a good marriage, don't listen to your divorce friend. If you want to be healthy, (laughs) don't listen to your overweight friend. If you want to be successful, don't listen to your broke friend. It sounds simple, but the more you audit the information you're learning, the better 
your psyche and your paradigm will be. Man, and, and that's so important. There's so much information out there just coming from the wrong people. You know, obviously there's that saying where you're the average of the five people that you hang around, but your income is the average of the five people you hang around too. Same, same, same thing. So you got to be careful what you're listening to, who you're taking advice from. If you wouldn't switch places with that person in that situation or whatever you're asking about, then you're asking the wrong person. It's just as simple as that. Totally. Adrian, we're, we're both big into personal development. Uh, we come from similar upbringings in terms of our professional career, direct sales. They have a really good way of ingraining personal development and success fundamentals into you in uh, the organizations. Were you always interested uh, or, or pursuing personal development, or is it something that you've grown to develop the habit into? Um, that's kind of something that I kind of stumbled into. Um, going into the financial services industry, um, I didn't have someone that I was following into it. Like now, if someone sees you, Steve, on Instagram, they're like, okay, I want to be Steve. I'm just going to listen to what Steve says. I didn't have that because the financial services industry wasn't like, it wasn't a thing. I didn't follow anyone on Instagram. All I needed to know was I'm having a kid on the way. I need to make money. This has to work. So I ran into self-development because that was sort of my crutch going into taking this leap. So I was really, really big on Andy Frisilla. Every single morning drive to the office, I have Andy Frisilla just yelling at me every single morning. All he does is cuss on his podcast, tell you to get up every day and just do better. I was like, all right. Stop being a little bitch. <laughs> every single morning, that's, that's all I leaned on was Andy because I didn't have someone in the industry that I knew that was actually doing it. I kind of just went in blindly and I was just hoping for the best. All I knew was that it was the, in the financial services industry. I have leads. And the financial services industry creates the most seven-figure earners. That's all I had. I didn't have a person that I was idolizing. Um, it was just me training, trying to do my best, and listening to Andy Frisilla. From there, that's kind of when I started taking like the personal development thing a little bit more seriously because it shaped my mindset. All, all Angie was saying is, like, just, just don't be a bitch. Like, that's all he says. And it works. He says it in 150 different podcast episodes. And that's all that stuck with me. I was like, all right, well, whatever. Like, cool, I'm pumped up now. I'm in the office. I just finished my podcast. I'm ready to go. That's cool, man. <laughs> for Yeah, for everyone out there looking for a mentor, I mean, we're in the 21st century. You know, there is so much content, oh, so much so free much. content out there from people who are doing business at an extremely high level that all you got to do is tune in and apply. But with all this information out there, sometimes you can get confused. And to your point, sometimes you don't know who to listen to. In the day of the information age where there's an abundance of information, abundance of content, an abundance of people to listen to, how do you find the content and the individuals that resonate with you to make sure you're not getting lost in the sauce and getting... <laughs> analyst paralysis, because it's a real thing. Yeah, no, I think you really just need to do your research. You need to figure out if the people that anyone can put anything on Instagram and say, I done this, I done that. You got you to fact check. You can't just, everyone is somebody on Instagram. Flex right culture. Now. Yes, flex culture. You can buy your verification on Instagram. And yes, I did buy one too, but it was warranted. I've seen you have fake profiles. I have fake profiles, but it's beyond like a blue check. It's beyond a nice picture. I would get on a call and meet them in person if you can because energy doesn't lie. They can say this, this, and that, but 
like I said, energy doesn't lie. You'll feel it. It's transferable. And that's the only thing you can base it off of aside from fact-checking that they make the money you want to make um, or whatever it is that you're looking to get mentored to. Um, but that's that's what I would say. you got to meet these people in person. Like Everything that you see online, I want to say, is it's just not what it is. You know, People online forget that there's real life too. Measure twice, cut once. I agree, man. Adrian, from the last 45 minutes we've been talking and and obviously what we know about each other, you're you're a pretty chill dude, man. You're a pretty chill dude. You have Zen energy, similar to myself. And I feel like in our industry, you're leading a lot of people. You're managing a lot of people. You're dealing with a lot of emotions. You know, one of the reasons I feel like direct sales um, leaders can get paid so much, you know, millions of dollars. You know, I have someone in our company making over $2 million a year the reason they're able to get paid so much is because they're dealing with people. They're dealing with emotions and irrational and people are hot, people are cold. And if you're not stoic and if you're not grounded and if you're not centered, uh, then the modern day warfare, which is corporate America and business will eat you up. And that's where mental health issues come from. That's where stress comes from. What do you do, whether it's rituals, habits, certain practices that you have to make sure your battery is recharged and filled so you can make sure you're going out there and serving the highest amount of people? Yeah, I would say the most important thing you can do is learn to unplug. Um, Staying plugged in every single time is going to drain you faster than you know it and stay organized. Um, There's a saying that the last hour of the day is the most important. You got to plan for the next for the next day. If you're prepared and you planned it the night before, you're not going to wake up in the morning all jumbled. I'm sure you know, Steve. The second we wake up, someone a handful of people need something. The second we fires. wake up, yeah, all we do is put fires out every single day in leadership and management, and just keeping people's head on a swivel while also having to keep your own. So your alone your alone time is is very very important. I see you have your morning routine. You do your cold plunges, whatever it is you do. You have to do it, and you have to do it consistently, and you have to do it often. And it's and that's planning the night before when you're unwinding. Take, like, one hour to pl- plan and map out the whole day. And then the morning, you got to take an hour to yourself. Right? I wake up in the morning. I have, you know, 30 different notifications, and you see my phone going off now. And you got to prepare yourself and kind of just – you just need me time. Me time is important, especially even if you're not in management. Everyone needs an unwind, an unplug, or reset button so that their their mind can be clear in everything that they're doing the following day. We need to start fresh the next day. Every day we wake up unemployed and there's work to do. We just got to go get it, but you need to be clear and concise. Mm, mm, mm. The morning and night, man, I couldn't have said it any better. (laughs) So, so crucial. Is that how you feel like you stay balanced? You know, I'm always yeah. curious about this because, you know, half the people said balance doesn't exist. You have to be obsessed. You have to be, you know, just 100% into what you're doing in order to, you know, make it manifest and materialize what you agree. But then the other side of the coin is if you're not vibrating at a high frequency and if you're not doing the self-care and if you're not taking care of yourself and taking time with your family and your time uh, to rejuvenate, then you're not going to be effective. Where do you fall with that line between being obsessed and having work-life balance? You know, work-life balance is kind of like, I want to say it's almost like a myth. Um, There's really, when you're an entrepreneur, when you're running a business, when you're in charge of other people, when other people depend on you, um, you're working 24-7. So in order to combat that, 
you have to schedule times for these things, even if it's with family. Yes, it sounds weird for me to schedule like, all right, at, for me right now, Steve, I have 8 o'clock every single day from 8 to 9. That's me and my daughter's playtime. My phone's off, airplane mode, whatever. She'll hide my phone from 8 to 9. That's every single day. I'll plan, you know, with, with my partner date nights. You have to plan these things because that's just how we run our life. If nothing, if we do stuff that's outside of the calendar, I feel like that's how people get overwhelmed because it's not planned. You know, you're, you know, the saying is if you plan to fail, you fail to plan. And that goes with not just in your work, but personal life. So it's okay to schedule, like, playtime with your kids. It's okay to schedule, like, going on dinners with your spouse. Like, you have to implement it and put it on there or else you're just going to get caught up in your work balance and there's no life balance. So everything has to be scheduled. As weird as it may sound to some people, like, you just have to schedule it or put time away from it that you follow through and do on a consistent basis because that lets you unplug from work to kind of forget about work for a little bit and kind of unwind and then you follow up at the end of the day with the last hour to plan the next day you just got to stay on point you stay organized and you're not going to get overwhelmed or feel like you're getting lost in the business but work-life balance isn't really a thing to me in my opinion you just have to balance it all you have to schedule everything i agree man and at least in my organization, I feel like that's the most challenging part yeah. for people <clears throat> to succeed at a high level. They can't figure out the self-accountability, self-scheduling. Hey, I'm going to work X amount of hours. I'm not going to get distracted. I'm not going to allow this person to influence me to do this. They're just not sound in their time management and self-accountability skills. And I think yes. there's a reason to that. I think that's by design, not default. I think it's conditioning from school and from yeah. the education system to be a student and to be you know, told what to do all the time. Therefore, when you become an adult after the four years of college, you're like, oh, I've been told what to do my whole life. No I've been conditioned by a, a school bell. What am I supposed to right. do? Yeah. And that's why they're attracted to the nine to five clock in, clock out structure. In your business, how do you find people or how do you attract people or how do you train people to teach them that self-accountability and that self-discipline to go out there and get the results they're looking for? I think it all starts with an expectation. Um, I was always taught that um, when you're hiring someone and they don't get the results that you want them to get, it's one of three things. It's one, they didn't know what's expected of them. Two, they don't know how to do it. Or three, you're not holding that expectation and accountability with them. So I set it up very, very clear based on their why. So if you want to make your first $10,000 per month here working virtually, this is the schedule you need to make. These are the dials you need to make. This is how many clients you have to sit with. And then me and you will meet on a week-to-week -week basis. So yes, we're 1099, but I still structure it like a nine-to-five because everyone needs structure. If I, if we just gave all of our agents a bunch of leads and said, all right, go crazy, nothing would get done. There are people that wouldn't work. There are people that would work and not be effective or anything like that, and then there would just be, it would just be madness, right? So yes, we're 1099, but we do, you do need to set up an expectations that this is what you're gonna have to do. And I'm gonna be asking you permission for me to hold you accountable on what you want on what you told me you just want so as long as that mutual agreement is set that i can hold you accountable that you're going to be in 
at 9 a.m. and leave at 6, I'm going to be there at 9 a.m. to make sure you're in and make sure you leave at 6. So my biggest saying, Steve, in my organization is I never want to see you come and I never want to see you go. So when I come into the office, I'm in and out. But I always want to see you there before me. And when I leave, I don't want you to leave before me either. So that's what we live by. Um, Because, yes, you and I can go in and out of the office, but it's because we've done it already. We're better than these people that are coming on. and We can do what we need to do in a more shorter, efficient time. So until they get to that position, that's how they have to have it structured. And if they're not going to hold themselves accountable, I'm more than willing to do it. I'll drag someone, like I said, I'll drag someone to success. I'll hold their hand. I'll push them. I'll do whatever it needs to do. As long as they give me permission to hold that level of accountability, I'm in, I'm there. I'm there with them. Mm, I like that, man. Do you think what we do in the context of direct sales, self-employed, you know, 100% commission, no cap on your income, full-time control, do you think that space is for everyone or that everyone can do it? Or do you think some people are just built that they need nine to fives? I don't know. I think, I think everyone can do it. I mean, even for me, like, I'm just, I'm just not a salesman. (laughs) Like I just, I never grew up wanting to do sales. It's just something that I've developed. I know that I like dealing with people maybe. And granted, some people don't want that lifestyle and that's okay. Some people don't want to deal with people on a day-to-day basis and that's fine, but that's not to say that they can't do it. I have people in my industry right now from all walks of life, from fast food drivers to retail to, you know, whatever it is, sales in general. But I think, I think anyone can do it. Honestly, it just, it just takes the right mindset to do it, to develop it. And kind of like, you know, like myself, like I've never (laughs) once thought I was going to be in sales, let alone run an entire sales agency because like, like I told you before, Steve, I'm, I'm like an extroverted introvert, um, you know, that's just, but for me to do it, that's just me getting out of my comfort zone. So if you're willing to do that, you can do whatever you want. Yeah, I agree, man. I'm, I'm the same way. I grew up very shy, very timid. Same thing in high school. It wasn't until college where I started developing communication skills, but I always had the desire to be good at it because it made me uncomfortable. And I knew that if I could master it, then what else could I master? And it almost yeah. like opened different chambers of my mind. Well, if I could get good at communicating and get good at being a social influence, yes. what else can I do? Oh, can I go from being, you know, in a, in a poverty upbringing to being in a wealthy upbringing? And then you start kind of developing that belief and that compounds. And then you're like, oh, I wonder what else I can do. I wonder what else I can do. And then, you know, you get to this person where eight, nine, 10 years ago, you didn't even know could possibly exist. Yeah. And you're just stoked you started then. Yeah, we always get into this thing where we just wish we started earlier. And, and that's what I say to everybody. Like, you're going to wish you started earlier. You're going to wish you took that leap of faith earlier. And all it takes is just to start. Like, <laughs> there's really nothing to it. Um, there's there's nothing else to say. Like, you just have to start. Whether someone needs to push you, you need to push yourself. Uh, but that then it comes hand to hand with, you know, finding someone that has everything that you want and just listening to them and just doing what they do. Success leaves clues, you know? Like, if you do what they do, you're going to get the results that they get. Like, it doesn't, it sounds simple, but it really doesn't get any more cut and dry than that. Yeah. 
some of the most simple philosophies are, are really all it is. You know, everyone's looking to overcomplicate everything, but it's really just doing the simple things, the basic things consistently when you don't want to do it, that leads to the ultimate, you know, result. I have a, I have a question for you, Adrian, because I think you're pretty well suited to answer this. We talked a little bit before about dream building and manifestation and visualization, visualization and how important it is to get close to your dreams, to raise that belief. But I also know that you teach a lot of financial literacy and financial principles. Where is the fine line between overextending yourself financially, but also pushing to go get a new car, to go upgrade your lifestyle? Because once you do that, you should act as is and then start actually achieving that level of success. Yeah, I think there needs to be a balance of the physical things that you want and actually setting yourself yourself up for the future. So we do push both. For me personally, I'm pushing them to get that new car, to get that new house, to do that lifestyle, to upgrade whatever they need to upgrade because you need to be in that mindset like I'm up here. As long as you're thinking of that of yourself, your performance, you know, follows suit. Once they start making money, that's when, I, that's when we'll sit them down and be like, all right, now that you're making money, you need to know how to actually handle it and keep it. So I think starting out, I think it's important that they get these short-term goals that they want because not everyone is going to come in thinking five years, 10 years, 20 years down the road. It's just not realistic to them because they haven't gotten what they wanted firsthand in the first place. So they even think it's possible. So once they start making, you know, six figures or even close to that, you don't even have to make six figures to start financially planning. Um, <clears throat> it's necessary to sit down and start planning for the future. You know, it's not all about nice clothes, driving a nice car. It's about where you're putting your money, investing, and how you're going to keep it, how it's going to build, and how you're going to have it long term. Because like we said in the beginning, you and I know, like, who's going to be burnt out a year from now. It's who's not responsible with their money. It doesn't matter if you make 10000 100000 million. You don't know how to manage your money. You just don't know how to manage your money. Mm. I think it's interesting, especially in uh, today's world where, you know, everyone's doing so much. They're progress. They're uh, projecting it on social media. They're broadcasting yeah. it, right, to highlight real of their life. Yeah. There's so many people that I started with in network marketing when mm. I was broke, you know, making $1,000, $2,000 a month yeah. who were, you know, at the time making twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 a month who are no longer making really any type of income and they've conformed yet. There's some people, um, I like to think myself, uh, yourself, people who maybe never, you know, had that flash in the pan and went from, you know, crazy, uh, you know, from the bottom to the top crazy fast, but have progressively increased and been able to most importantly sustain that. Cause yeah. I think the worst thing in the world, I don't think the worst thing in the world is, you know, being broke or being poor or, or not making it. I think one of the worst things that you could go through is creating success, tasting that forbidden fruit, tasting that lifestyle and then losing it. So how do people yes. avoid that and create sustainability in their progression when it comes to income? <laughs> That's important too because that'll really <laughs> that'll destroy somebody. But if you did it once, you can do it again. Mm. You know that's a real a real hustler, a real go getter. Like I could lose everything tomorrow and I'll get it back the next day. And and that's just that just goes back to um, how you view yourself as a person. Like if solar somehow disappeared the next day, Steve, I have no doubt that the next day you'll you'll figure it out and pick it back up and start something else. And I don't think it's what's around you. I think it's just what's in you and how. Personal, develop, personal development is what's important. That's what's going to get you through 90% of your career. Like I've said, like 90% of any career 
any entrepreneurial, you know, journey is just showing up. So if you lose it, you can get it back. If, you know, if you need help with financials and everything like that, you have to ask someone like, you know, like we've talked about that's doing it, right? You're not, if you don't know how to, you know, um, budget your money or, or, or spread your money, you're not just going to know just by deciding, okay, I want to do something with my money. You have to go to a professional that's doing it or a mentor or a business partner that's doing it already. So that's, that's the number one piece of advice that, you know, that we train. And that's more important than making the money. Make, keeping the money is the most important thing and what you do with it. So I think <coughs> in this culture, Steve, like we talked about, it's just all flex culture, but it needs to be more of like long-term thinking because everyone just wants to see nice things off off you know off the rip but at the end of the day that's that's not what it's about you have to be able to keep it so yeah man freedom freedom's the goal yeah you know you can lose it in an instance and you know like i said you can get it back as as long as you see it that way absolutely man Adrian, you've been a stud, bro. We could talk about this all day. I <laughs> all feel like we're on the, same, on the same frequency. My, my last question for you in closing, the Adrian today, the badass insurance, top 1% millennial millionaire out here changing lives, what advice or a piece of psychology or lessons would you give five, six year ago, Adrian, starting in the insurance agency or just making the transition over to accounting, knowing everything you know right now, what advice would you give your past self? Yeah, I think the one quote I think that would have, that changed my whole mind, that changed the way I just view things is the most important piece of real estate that you own is that six inches between your left and right ear. It's your mindset on everything. Um, The number one piece of advice that I wish that I made even before I jumped into my um, accounting positions and salary positions is that move that you're just scared to make and just wondering what if that just might be the one. And for me six years ago, and I wish it was earlier, it was the one, but I was back and forth on it. It took a long time for me to do it. I didn't have anyone to push me to do it. I just did it. So, and if you do do it, that's, that's where you go all in on. There's no plan B. You got to burn your bridges and and trust in the process you just got to make sure that you're in the right vehicle you're listening to the right people and everything else is inevitable mic drop let's go, let's go. bro thank you so much let's go it's been awesome where uh where can the viewers find you <sighs> they can find me on instagram that's adrian.bragis on instagram that's a-d-r-i-e-n-n-e dot bragis that's b as in boy r-a-g-a-s Awesome. Thank you so much, brother. Guys, we'll see you on the next episode. Appreciate everyone tuning in. Till next time.